This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top-tier lineup. With Leaf Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, hello everybody. This is a Blue Monday special with an ex-Ipswich Town player and current EFL pundit. So what we're going to do with Sam Parkin is we'll talk about Ipswich Town, we'll talk about some current stuff, we'll obviously talk about his career and we have a load of questions. Um, Sam, first of all, say hello to the Ipswich fans. Do you have a message for them? Um, a message for them? Yeah, keep supporting the team this year because I think finally you seem to have a guy in the hot seat that knows what he's doing. So so keep the faith because I think I've said in a few mediums this season, Ben, already that I believe Ipswich will be one of those two automatically promoted sides. So we're all the team to success. Um, hashtag ask Sam, can we get a view from him on the new signings we've made? Presume he'll have seen a lot of Luongo um, as he follows Swindon still. And just the perspective as an EFL watcher and fellow forward on Hurst and Broadhead. So those three already in this January. Yeah, I think, I mean, Luongo's getting on a bit, isn't he, in terms of age. Um, I really liked him at Swindon. I was frustrated with Luongo because I felt he had more to give in terms of goals and assists. Yet he's kind of just crept back a little bit uh, in terms of his position in the last five years or so, where he's a bit more of a controller now, but very secure in possession. I don't think any supporters of clubs that he's turned out for recently would say anything but positive things about him. Um so, yeah, he's probably not going to get forward and get your goals from midfield like he maybe did in his younger years at Spurs and at Swindon. But, um, yeah, technically very gifted, two-footed, um, clever footballer, good mentality. I think a really good addition in League One. Um, what, what about the other two forwards? Because um, they've been after Hurst for a, for a long while and couldn't get that done in the summer. And Broadhead, obviously, must have been promoted twice then with Sunderland and Wigan, I might be wrong about that. Someone will correct me surely in the comments. But he was on he was on the bench, wasn't he, for Sunderland in the in the playoff final? He came on, I think, for a couple of minutes. Um, Do you know what? I, I was there and I can't remember. <laughs> he came on because uh, 
yeah, I just remember them being quite well stocked going into that final in the forward positions, thinking, blimey, that's some strength if he can't get in. Um, right. I think the Sunderland fans loved him. I thought that was a strange move, to be honest, this season, going to, to Wigan. I'm not, not sure if he had the opportunity to go back to, to Sunderland, but he is more of a, a predatory striker, a really good finisher, um, you know, not going to be as strong with his back to goal, maybe, as, as Hurst, but no, I really like him. I think League One's probably below his level. So this is a this is a great coup for, for Ipswich, despite, you know, obviously Ipswich being in a great position to, to get promoted and he will think that that's going to materialise. Hurst, I think he's had a real up and down career despite being, you know, you know such a young lad. But what I did see during a run of games at Portsmouth with someone who's got every attribute, you know, he's he's quick. He's obviously got good stature. He's got he's decent huge, touch. Isn't he? I saw in the, in the picture with Mark Ashton, he's about a foot taller than him, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, good touch, can finish, probably needs to be a bit more dominant aerially. And that may happen as he, you know, learns the game and, and physically feels out a little bit. But um, yeah, I, th- I thought he did a brilliant job during that that period for Danny Cowley at, at Portsmouth. I was really impressed with him. Um, and I don't know if that was just belief, confidence, a bit of fitness with playing week in, week out, but... I think they've got someone with great potential there. I don't think he's the finished article and may need a little bit of work, maybe on his game and, and also on the mental side of things. But, oh, I mean, I remember having this conversation with you. I felt it was going to be a, t- a tall order for Ladapo to continue to get the goals, have the burden, churn out game after game. So to add those two, I think that probably gives them enough now in my mind to go and go and achieve what they want to. It, on that point, hashtag ask Sam, when a good new striker signed for um, your club personally, um, were you happy um, the club were improvement, uh, sorry, improving or worried about your place? And I suppose that goes for Ladapo at, at the moment. Did that happen to you in your career? Yeah, it's a bit of both really. It depends. I mean, this this will give a little bit of insight to my mentality when I was at Swindon. Um, I mean, we signed some some really good players at Swindon. We had Tommy Mooney come in, Rory Fallon, um, to, to name a few more. We had James Milner come on loan. Um, Johnny Jackson came on loan. Dean Marnie came on loan. You know, we had top Premier League loanees, good strikers, you know, competition for me. Who else do we have? Michael Proctor came in from Sunderland. Um, we always were really active in the loan market. And whenever I saw a new sign-in, either standing on the pitch that, you know, with a view to signing was going to join in the next few days or someone having their first training session. My character during that time was, I'm the number one here. You know, <laughs> watch watch what I can do this morning. It, I had that mentality at, at Swindon. Nobody's going to take my place. Almost like I'm the, the top dog here. It inspired me to 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 grow, to improve, to, to show off to a degree. Um, and then probably... Latterly, I probably didn't have that confidence at other clubs. But, you know, another example, when Alan Lee came to Ipswich, granted I was injured, but me and Alan hit it off immediately. And I never saw Alan as a threat. I saw Alan as someone moving from one end of the country or from another country, I think it was from Cardiff, from Wales to to Suffolk. I saw it as someone who, like me a year previously, needed the support of uh, of his teammates, a friend and stuff like that. And we became great mates, me and Alan. So, no, it never, it never bothered you really. You're, 
your destiny is decided by what you do, isn't it, on the training ground and, and how you perform. Um, you know, managers don't get it. <laughs> they don't get it wrong too often. They're going to pick the person who's in form and who deserves to be playing. So, yeah, it, it, it generally inspired me. Um, although with the injuries and stuff like that, it was probably better when I was at clubs where there wasn't too many to choose from. <laughs> um, we'll come back to some more hashtag R Sam. You touched on Swindon. Um, can you just talk about being at... I suppose Chelsea would have been considered one of the elite at that point when you were there. That was just turning, wasn't it? And the you know the trophies were, were starting to be won. Mm. What was it like being... A youngster at Chelsea who was who was around there at the at the time and you know working that loan system to get your experience. It was, a, it was probably a different type of elite, uh, if that makes sense. Because pre Abramovich, right? Pre Abramovich, but with a history of producing a vast amount of young players. Hence the reason I chose to go to Chelsea. When, as you can imagine, young footballers in in Greater London, you have the pick of a number of clubs. So, of course, I had a look at my options, but Chelsea were producing so many players through the the 80s, 90s. Um, it was a bit of a no-brainer. Obviously, location-wise, it was great for me and it felt like a great fit. Um, it just happened to transpire that it was a period of huge change. I kind of signed and then we had Rude Hullet replaced by Viali. Uh, an influx of the best players in the world. Um, latterly, or like you say, Abramovich, Claudio Ranieri, even more change and even more legendary players come in. So my path to the first team was obviously not clear uh, and blocked by, I always say, Mick, you know, when I was maybe on the cusp of getting an opportunity, they signed Mikel Forsell, who's probably pound for pound the best young striker in the world or in Europe at that time. And, and that's what you were up against. But um, yeah, we had all those guys. You know, I learned so much off Fiali, who obviously we lost in the last week or so, which was terribly sad for his mates and the people who played with him, his family. But even for us young players who were around him, he was great. You know, he knew all of our names. Um, he's quite mischievous. <laughs> I learned loads from him. Stuff that I took to my last few days playing professional football in terms of his movement uh, for somebody who wasn't blessed with great pace, very, very clever footballer. So we used to watch him, we used to spend hours and hours sitting out on the training ground watching Gianfranco Zola take free Stop kicks. It. <laughs> um, just marvel at the accuracy, the consistency of his free kicks. And, you know, I was in a youth team with John Terry and John Harley's my big mate. So two guys that made it into the first team. Great players. Um, example that it could still be done unfortunately it didn't materialize for me but I think once I'd gone out and had a taste of first team football elsewhere kind of my my hunger was to to go out and make my own road and hopefully get back into the Premier League a little bit of a, a detour and obviously when I went to Ipswich that was very much at the forefront of my mind I was an ex-Chelsea kind of protege youngster and I was kind of on that upward trajectory to get back into the Premier League, which was always my plan. Um, we've got hashtag our Sam. What is the general perception of ITFC amongst the pro footballer community? Can you kind of parlay where you were in terms of um, what you were just saying? That was a possible route back to the Premier League. Yeah. And how's, how's Ipswich <clears throat> excuse me, perceived? Because at, at worst, people think, oh, it's an outpost in the 
in the middle of nowhere who were who were good once. And at best, people think this is a this is a great club that had mm. you know these two legendary England managers, etc. I think people probably have the misconception that it's a bit of a sleepy part of the the country, and that it's a little bit you know out on an air but not near anywhere, which I think is a misconception because it's not too far away at all. I think everyone's got huge, huge, anyone who knows anything about football, any guys who play who prior to becoming professionals were supporters of a club, big, big fans of players or, you know, just football nuts like I was growing up. You understand the history of, of Ipswich and realise what a big club it, it it has been and has the potential to become again in terms of stature standing in the, in the, um, in the league. So I think everyone, yeah, I, I think when, you know, there was a plethora of clubs kind of in for me during that period at Swindon, I think when, you know, my mind was kind of made up as soon as I realised Ipswich were in for me, I think that gives a good indication. I think anyone that's like-minded that, that knows the history of football and has followed it, you know, since being a young boy can understand that, you know, it still had this great pull, um, even though, you know, they were in the championship and hadn't been in the Premier League for a few years and obviously managed by Joe Royal at the, the time. Yes, there's better stadiums in the country in, in better nick, but it's got that that character, that history. Um, you can still feel it when I come to cover a game. So I think everyone thinks that <laughs> Ipswich deserved to be a, in a higher division and probably... Probably a lot of people hope that that's going to happen as well. You're almost starting to get to the point with it having been like the two years prior to you joining was they were both playoff years and it feels like the plateau of the club. And what you're saying there, circa 2005, you do start to wonder what does now a how old were you when you signed for Ipswich? 24, I think I was. Yeah, what does a 24-year-old now think, though? Do, do, you, know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, in yeah, in yeah, respect yeah. of, you know, th- their their perception of Ipswich might be totally different now, given, yeah. the, given the past sort of 15 years. Um, uh, hashtag ask Sam, did he feel any burden of pressure given his transfer from Swindon was one of ITFC's largest fees post-administration? I don't think I did initially um, at all. I didn't think about the the fee. I think the the challenge probably dawned on me a few months in, um, and yeah, I think it was it was a difficult time. It was a difficult time. It was never about the fee, really. I think you touched on it there. The previous year had been a playoff season, and I think there was enormous expectation from from outside that it would be a, a team that would challenge again. And I think that a lot of the players in the squad that I that I joined wanted me to be Shefki Kuchi Mark II and Nicky Forster to be Darren Bent Mark II. And I thought they were such a successful partnership in the previous years. I think they both got 20 goals. I looked it up the other day in all competitions. Tommy Miller got... 10 yeah. 15 as well, didn't he? Yeah, we, and, and they were names that we heard a lot about. And I felt that was that was a bit of a burden f- for us. Um, obviously, 
going to be really careful about how I word it. You, you have to take responsibility for your own performances. And, and ultimately, I didn't play well enough at, at Ipswich. There are circumstances as to why I think, and with the hindsight of time now, I believe I have a better understanding as to why I didn't work at Ipswich. But I felt that me going into that side that had had such a successful strike partnership, we were really fighting against it from the off. And I was a very different player to Chef Kikuchi. And I think I have I have um, regrets about not improving the physical side of my game, not being better aerially and stuff like that. And I was coached later on in my career and I felt that I maybe wasn't coached enough on the training ground. Um, I think the due diligence has probably done greater levels now as to the type of player that going to fit into a system. I don't think at Swindon I was ever judged on the amount of balls I was winning aerially. The, you know, not to say that it was total football I was playing, but they realised my strengths were getting the ball into me around the box, to my feet, having the opportunity to engineer space to get shots away. Whereas Ipswich have been so successful with Cucci flicking balls on for Darren Bent to run onto. And I think they tried to mirror that. And I think I could have been coached to become that player. But I think once I'd started poorly and not scored goals in the pre-season, um... My anxiety grew, especially in front of the home fans. My belief diminished. And um, I think it was a bit of a knock-on effect that physically I wasn't dominating games. And um, that had a knock-on effect with my goal scoring as well. So, you know, thinking back, I think we're all quite selfish to a degree, footballers. And um, I wish I'd have got a little bit more guidance, maybe, as to where I could help the team. Instead of just, listen, Joe picked me every week, which is, I would never have a bad word to say about Joe. I think when I was available, and I think he hoped that it would turn, but I think we've spoken about it a little bit today. I was a 24-year-old lad who had nothing but success the three previous years, going into a, a club that had 25,000 fans there. it's quite It was quite a lot, I think, to, for me to take in. And when it started negatively... I think I just needed a little bit more support from the senior players and maybe coached a little bit more on the training ground. Um, but I'd never, ever criticised Joe or, or Willie Donaghy, who, who really tried you know, some, some different methods to, to get me producing. But yeah, it's, um, it's still a big regret because obviously knowing what I know now, you know, you would have approached lots of things differently. And some of that would have been me going to the staff and saying do you know what? This isn't happening. It's not working. Let's stay out for half an hour after training and show me the pattern. Show me what where you want me to flick it. Show me how you want me to play with Nicky Forster. You know, and that's just an example. So I think a lot of that does come from you. I think because I was in such a dark place mentally, you know, struggling to win the fans over, um, struggling with belief, um, adapting to a new surroundings, yeah, I think you just sometimes you train and you get home, don't you? And you wallow in your own um, self-pity and, and what have you, whereas I could have been more proactive in making it work. Um, there's so many of the questions now linked to what you've just yeah, said. Yeah, cool. this yeah, of course. Sorry, I went off come, No, no, it's great. I want to come back to the... the there's one about um, Portman Road specifically as well. Yeah. Um, does does Sam remember the discussions he had with Joe Royal before he joined about his role for town? I don't know if are you allowed to um, <laughs> tell that story you told me. I'll leave that with you. Um, in hindsight, it seems we thought we were getting a big target man 
whereas Sam wanted to drop in and play football more. Yeah. That sounds fair, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the people will look at me, like, and we've already discussed today, and say, you're six foot two. You should be battering people and dominating games. And I completely understand that that argument. But I felt that I could do that. And I learned how to do that better as I got older. But there were different facets to my game. Um, and there were stronger elements to my game, which at Swindon came to the fore. And in that first year when I went out on loan, I struggled a little bit at Northampton and yeah, different levels completely. Listen, I'm not comparing the two clubs, but similar styles in terms of I played with a little guy who wanted the ball flicked onto him. And I struggled to a degree, probably because, you know, I'd used to Chelsea building a little bit more and being a bit more available for the ball into, into feet. Yeah. So I think I, I kind of covered that. I, sh I needed to be coached, I think, a little bit more in, in that regard. And when it wasn't working, you know, I think I think flat players are selfish. You know, as long as they're doing okay, um, they can leave the training ground and and be happy. And and I was kind of I was taking that all on board. And each week, it was just kind of like going over the same ground, and and my performances weren't improving. So it was a, you know, looking back now, um, it probably some of it was down to me, not um, not asking for, for more, not doing extra. But yeah, ultimately, I think that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't probably the player they felt they were getting as well. I wasn't, you know, going to be able to replicate what had been brought previously. Fascinating. Um, and uh, Joe? Um, what, 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 were the, what were the dealings in terms of... Um, oh, Joe, a, sorry, yeah. Um, huge character and huge, yeah. huge name, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a legend of the game, clearly. Like, a legend of a manager at that, that point in time. Like, incredible buzz when someone like that wants to sign you, given, you know, what he, he was in the game, he's standing in the game. And, yeah, Joe, Joe met me at... He'd been on holiday, so my agent picked him up at Heathrow. So this was very clever, if you think about it. I've got, realistically, I think three other clubs kind of jostling for my signature. Sorry, that was very cliched, wasn't it? But Joe, Joe <laughs> we picked Joe up at Heathrow Terminal 5, I think it was. So he's, he's obviously conveniently felt, I'll have two hours in the car with him. And I'd met Watford the previous day. It was AD Booth who had just taken over. And so Joe had two hours basically in the car with me to schmooze and, and, and to try and win me over. And to be honest, my recollection of it is that I walked in the, remind me the main stand, um, you know, uh, Ipswich, the name of it. Is it the Commonwealth? Well, I, I call it the Pioneer still. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so, so in there, you've got all the pictures and the history and stuff like that. I think I walked along that, as I remember, I walked along that, that gangway and my mind was made up. You know, I'd met wow. Joe, I'd seen the ground, um, I'd seen that history, which I was aware of already, and that was it for me, really. And the plan was to go up to Norwich the following day. Dun, dun, or, dun. Or, or, or that night. Um, and I'd not had too much. I don't think I'd spoken to Nigel Wellington at this point. Mm -hmm. or I may have had a brief conversation. But obviously they had Dean Ashton, our colleague um, from the EFL show, there at the time, and I thought, like I've said on multiple occasions, Dean is, me and Dean look identical. 
and we were similar types of players, yet he was much better than me. So I was never going to get a game at Norwich, was my my thinking. Whereas there was a space at, at Ipswich, an obvious space where I could have got straight into the side. Um, so that was a kind of a footballing reason as to why I wouldn't have gone to Norwich anyway. Um, and I, obviously I was getting a bit far away from London by the time I got to Ipswich as well. Um, but yeah, it was it was sold basically on that morning. And then that was it really. I agreed to sign that night. Me and my agent stayed in um, Dedham in, in one of those hotels there. Lovely. Nice hotel booth, no doubt. Yeah. And was Alan Brazil there? He wasn't. He wasn't. But... <laughs> And and you know you know I've spoken about some of my regret today and I've people say you don't have any regrets I've got like loads of things I've done, done differently especially during that year eighteen months at Ipswich like it it still hurts today you know what I mean and I think I'm big enough to admit that but that night and that following morning when I signed apart from having my children one of the best days of my life um, like incredible like I'm I'm a QPR nut football nut played football from five years of age. You know, to sign for Ipswich and Joe Royal on a four-year contract to be on the Sky Sports ticker and all that, it was dream stuff, honestly. It was an amazing feeling, one of the best days ever. So, yeah, that, that that's the story. And, yeah, Joe was, I think in the weeks prior when it, there had been speculation that Ipswich wanted to sign me, Joe was texting me every now and again just saying, <laughs> I think he sent me a text, this will, this will, uh, this will uh, please some of the Ipswich fans. He sent me a text saying, "You won't see, you won't suit yellow, son." That's no <laughs> way to talk about Watford, now, is it, Sam? <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah, which I thought was um, he didn't, he didn't, because QPR obviously wanted me as well at the time. But um, and I, I think you'd you'd understand when I say that you know I'd have I'd have I'd have played for QPR for nothing. You know, I'd have walked yeah, to QPR, yeah. and Swindon knew that. Ian Holloway knew that. They just couldn't raise the funds. But um, I'd spoken to Ollie as well, and obviously I've got to know Ollie in the last few years, and he knows my QPR allegiance. And it's sad that it never materialised. But um, yeah, in terms of in terms of a football move and going to a, a massive club like Ipswich, it was a no brainer that day. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once; it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with Mook Delivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Blue Monday are delighted to be partnered with TalkSport Fan Network and NordVPN, giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely. NordVPN opens up global streaming options for content not available in your region by switching your virtual location quicker than Wesburn's running down the wing. NordVPN acts like your cyber Sam Morsey whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like passwords and credit card details from falling into the wrong hands. For about the price of an ITFC match program a month or a Blue Monday Telegram subscription, you can get yourself a NordVPN account which can be used across six different devices. If you need to rapidly change direction like Amari Hutchinson, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. 
To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Monday or click the link in the podcast or YouTube subscription to be taken straight there, supporting us here at Blue Monday in the process. Are you able to tell that story about Jim Rajilton and your initiation? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, lo- I love Jim. Um, it didn't end well between me and Jim when when I left. I was forced out to a degree, which I understand, you know, the more and more as I get older, because I understand that Jim was a new manager, he would have had a budget and he felt I wasn't good enough or he felt he had a better option. Therefore, you have to move someone out. I understand that. But I really, I love Jim. I respected him so much. Um, my mates loved him. They loved coming up and being in his company. Brilliant character. Brilliant captain. Great player. One of the best I played with him. And he was, was it was last year, wasn't it? Yeah. One of the best I played with. Me and my mates always talked about his little bendy feet. You know, he'd, he'd face <laughs> him one way and he could play it the other way. And he's, he was like a bit like a duck, wasn't he? Yeah, but he could his his manipulation of the ball and that was amazing. And for being a striker, having him playing behind you and demand the demands he put on you were, were amazing. Um, yeah, so as a captain, he'd do everything like you know, if he needed a new car, restaurant books, he, he'd be all over that. You know, real old fashioned type of guy. Tickets, but yeah, the um, the Christmas party, my first year. So obviously, I was in. Plaster, I was on crutches that, that December, but we had a black tie do at Portman Road in the evening, which was for all the staff, if memory serves me right. But we met up early in the day in a nightclub during the day. He got this nightclub to open. And to my memory, there was punters in there as well, probably friends of Jim's, because he knew everyone by then, didn't he? Of course, because he was, you know, he liked to pint, didn't he, Jim? And like, obviously, he was like Mr. Ipswich. So there were people in there as well. And he texts me in the lead up to say, you, you're, you're singing, you're a new signing still. You've got to do initiation, which I thought, I'm going to go back for a beer because I've not seen the lads for a while. I, you know, obviously had an operation and what have you. And so no problem. Got my song sorted, Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby, as I always did. Um, turn up, there's a stage in this nightclub and he, <laughs> he's gone full blown. Bob Monkhouse, Des O'Connor, Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> he's on the stage with a mic and he's got like a script. So when he's bringing us on one after the other, he's got like little funnies and statistics. Oh, mate, he's like, <laughs> park in, yeah, time for 500 grand. That's 100 grand. The goal he's cost us so far, the useless, <laughs> like, like all that. He's introduced us. And I think, like, to my memory, he's got, like, the dicky bow, like, drapes around his shoulders, you know, like an old uh, 80s. Dean Martin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was sensational, sensational. But that, I think that uh, encapsulates what type of character he was, what type of captain he was, really. And, um, yeah, we, that that summer was hard for me because the following summer, because I hoped, listen, physically, I, <clears throat> as it, um, as it happened, physically, I wasn't able to to play much for Luton subsequently because of the injury. Had never recovered really. There was still there was still a gap in the uh, the, the fracture site. I hadn't recovered essentially. I'd been trying to come back at Ipswich, trying to play reserve games, and I was ending up in considerable amount of pain, and uh, and it was really hard physically and mentally. So whether I'd have been able to turn around my Ipswich career. Is doubtful because of physically, I, I probably need another few months on the sidelines. 
but but Jim did call upon me a couple of times at the start of that season, as I recall. One was away at Leicester, if memory serves me right, and he had a brilliant Barney with Nicky Forster at half time. <laughs> and Nicky went went back at him and Jim just went ballistic and just basically <laughs> went I was basically like trying to to be flogged. They were trying to get rid of me. But Jim was basically like so mad. He was like, right, Nicky, off. Sam, you're on. Like, I was thinking I'm never going to play for Ipswich again at this stage. And I went on and did really well. Um, you know, to my credit, because I knew that they were trying to get me out of the club. And I, I don't know if it was a difficult predicament that Jim was presenting with then, but I remember they played Peterborough in the, um, in the football the EFL Cup or whatever it was called then on the Tuesday, maybe following that. And I was all set to start. And um, Jim basically had an argument with my agent. Um, still, you know, obviously trying to get the move to go through. And I was really conflicted at that stage. And I think Jim or my agent called me and just went, you're not playing now. <laughs> like, you're not playing now. Like, that's, like, I think my agent was called Aaron Lincoln at the time. He was John Terry's agent. Um, he was the, the old kit man at Chelsea. Very, very funny guy, full of life. He probably gave Jim a bit and they probably had a Barney because they were both quite charismatic. But I got the call to say, you're not playing now. Um, and that was it, really. Um, and I went went into Ipswich with my kind of tail between my legs a few times that week when the, the deals uh, were, were, were going on. I was maybe going to go to Preston and then obviously Luton as, as well with the other, the other option. And um, it was difficult because, you know, when you're going in and you feel like you're not supposed to be there, people don't want you there, you're being forced out. Yeah, for a young lad, that was quite tricky after, you know, having that dream move just a year previously. So I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure Jim may have some regrets in like the way our personal relationship suffered. Not that we were massive mates, but um, well, yeah. it's Sam as well at that point, he's making the transition from yeah, of how you communicate as a captain yeah. to how you communicate as a manager. And I mean, you'll know a thousand times better than me the 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 balling and yelling on the pitch isn't going to work for everybody off the pitch, is it? And I suppose he would probably admit that's something that he would have maybe not been too well up on at that point either. No, I think that was a problem. I think it was more of a problem probably for the senior players, uh, definitely, because there were some run-ins. And we know Jim was very, very, you know, he was temperamental, you know. <laughs> to, he was old school, Jim. Um, and I admired a, a lot of that and there was a place for it as well. Um, but I think it was tricky. And it was funny that I can't remember seeing him too often, but I saw him in Spain. <laughs> he was worse for wear. I probably <laughs> was too. Um I saw him in a well-known bar in, in Port of Benus and I just went and gave him a cuddle and we had a laugh. And I said, like, you, you, you know, I love you. Like, no hard feelings. Like, I really admire you. Um, it was a tough time and we had a laugh. Do you know what I mean? And that's the way I've always tried to conduct conduct myself with, you know, I didn't I didn't finish on, on a great note either at Exeter, like with Paul Tisdale, but... I made a point of going to see him a few years later when I was at a game and just having a hug and just saying like it was shit. But you know, I've um, with retrospect now, I understand and you know, you've got to be the bigger person, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, can we go back to this home away thing with the goal scoring and um, whatnot? Because there's a couple of questions about it. Um, uh, hashtag Ask Sam. Scoring record away from home was pretty good, if I recall. Just couldn't get going 
at home, so got a bit of stick, easy scapegoat. And then someone's added um, Seb. I think he hit the post from a corner against Cardiff on his debut and forced her end up scoring the winner. Sliding doors moment, perhaps. <laughs> There's another one. Does he think not scoring at Portman Road hurt him? Is that is, is there any sense in that? Because obviously the hardcore fans are, are travelling away, yeah. aren't they? And yeah. They're, maybe they're the ones that... But does the kind of perception get built in home games? What, what do you think? Yeah, I think it definitely does. 100%. And yeah, and knowing each other like we do, you know, I've, I've got that. I remember pretty much every game. Um, that, that's how I kind of work. I remember every goal. And what frustrated me was that there were some some really good performances in there away from home. I remember thinking I played really well at Derby, uh, at Coventry, and I didn't score, but I played really well. I'd contributed. Millwall, where I got the goal, I played well. Brighton, where I got the goal, I played well. I didn't play well at Leeds, but got the two goals. So that kind of papered over the, the cracks of that afternoon when we were all a bit rubbish and should have been beaten, but we won at, at Leeds. Um, so I felt that I was contributing in the away games. Um, and, and obviously that is to do with the, the expectancy, the reaction of the crowd, the way that I was going into my shell in the home games. And it's something I've thought about a lot. And the Cardiff game is bang on. I hit the post in the second half. I missed an absolute sitter in the first half where I still don't know what happened. The ball broke to me on the six-yard box. I could have done anything with it. Could have side-footed it. Could have spanked it. I opted to spank it and just didn't... I, I, I still, to this day, don't understand how I how I um, shanked it. I didn't... I must not have catched it because the goalkeeper threw his, his hat on it. But it was a type of chance I'd have scored 29 out of 30 in the previous three seasons. So I, I don't understand what happened there. But yeah, I missed the header in the second half. They hit the post. That was a sliding doors moment. That would have undoubtedly meant, you know, if I'd have scored the winner on the opening day in the 25 degree heat in front of 30,000, unquestionably it would have been diff different for me. But what happened, and I tried to articulate it earlier as best as I can in my in my view. And again, I have to take responsibility that there were some woeful performances there at Portman Road. I think of the Preston game, which was live on Sky, and I was terrible. Um, the Norwich game, really poor. Watford game, you know, these home games where quite high profile against big clubs, obviously the Derby, I didn't do well enough. Um, and I think it was the... Lack of goals, clearly. I hadn't scored in pre-season, which became problematic straight away in my own mind. You know, I sh if you go into the season, to give you an example, I scored in every pre-season game for Swindon in my first season. Scored in six straight games and scored in the first three league games of the season. You're going into the first league game where you can walk on water. I was already up against the, the strike force they'd had previously, the success they'd had previously, the price tag maybe. Not my words, but obviously maybe from the outside, that was that was why people were expecting from me. And you what upper level as as well, yeah. And, and what I, the pyramid. And what I touched on a little bit earlier: if you're not playing well, if you're not dominating games, and part big part of that during that period at Ipswich was winning aerial balls, winning headers, then it had a knock-on effect to, in my game because. You lose a header, you don't hold, hold the ball up, you hear the crowd, they're immediately on you. And that became a big problem for me because physically I wasn't dominating games. I was exerting a lot of effort 
in trying to be a focal point for the side, but I wasn't succeeding. And that had a knock-on effect, I believe, in my ability to get in goal-scoring positions and score goals. So it had a bit of a knock-on effect. And again, this is I take responsibility for that. I wasn't good enough in that area of the game, but it wouldn't have half helped if the goalkeeper would have maybe kicked to someone else for a period. You know, at Swindon, I had times when I played with Rory Fallon, Tommy Mooney, other strikers, you could take that physical burden, even kick to a wide player, play short. But I think it's quite easy sometimes, especially when we were struggling early part of that season, to just keep putting it towards me. And I think it's quite the easy ball sometimes. And I felt in some of those games, I couldn't have half been helped out. The Preston game sticks out to me because I was dominated physically by the two centre-halves and the ball kept on coming. Now, if you're not succeeding in playing one way, you have to try and do yeah, something we're differently. The, we're in the definition of madness there, aren't Yeah, we? And, and I remember going home that night. That was as low as it, it became because not only was my game terribly poor that night, that afternoon, I remember it being really hot, live on Sky, the fans mocked me every time I missed, uh, I, I lost a duel. And I remember getting a text from one of my Swindon teammates that night and he took the mickey out of me. And I think that's probably a, sh- a sign of where the game was because I mentally was gone and I probably needed someone to get round me there and to say, to support me, to coach me, to cajole me, anything. And I didn't feel I got that from any anyone internally and like externally, the um, <laughs> the way it was then was just to take the mick, wasn't it? Rather than to say you're all right, mate. Like you, you look like you're struggling, basically. Because I <laughs> yeah. was, a, I was, I was gone. Like at that point. So yeah, those the questions are bang on. Basically, a mental block had had developed, um, probably in terms of not, probably not being in a great physical place because of the. Because of the uh, the uh, the amount of energy I was I was using to try and be that player that I wasn't essentially, um, and away from home, shackles are rough, aren't they? You're not going to have as much domination. You're not going to be. There's going to be ball, more balls in behind. Um, the, the attacks are going to be a bit more sporadic. Um, I think I played up front a little bit by myself away from home because Nicky was missing and that gave me, in a weird way, a little bit of freedom. Um, and um, and I didn't, yeah, long story short, of course, away from home, I felt a bit freer. Um, and I think that showed in my performances. Obviously, the goals do show you that. But like I said earlier, I think there were some really good performances in there which kind of got, they get missed. You know, you play away at Derby and there's how many were dips which take away there? Two, three thousand maybe back then. Um, and you go back to Portman Road and there's ten times that amount on the Tuesday night. That good performance, if you've contributed with your hold up play, with your build up, your assists, whatever, that gets that gets completely forgotten or gets missed because twenty seven thousand people aren't there. Absolutely. Um, are you able to tell that story about your goal celebration at Brighton or should we move on from that? No, that's fine, yes. Yeah. No, because I think it's part of the story, isn't it? Because, you know, I spoke about it a few times today. You know, I think football's a long way, has had had been a long way behind rugby, you know, in terms of the mental preparation and stuff like that. And, you know, of course, I took everything on during that year and year and a half at Ipswich where... Knowing what I do now, 
water off a duck's back. You're going to get criticism. You just focus internally or get the right advice, speak to sports psychologists, whatever it may be, um, which I, I didn't really do at the time. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I kind of fought every battle that year, which probably didn't help. And I hope today, like speaking about it, if there are some Ipswich fans listening, they'll realise that how privileged I was to, to come to the club and how much um, I think back think back at it with, you know, it's a mixed bag, but, you know, real pride that I, that I still signed for the club. Um, but yeah, at Brighton, in the warm-up, <laughs> someone was giving me a bit of stick. And I'd be lying if I said I knew exactly what he looked like, but I knew where he was sitting. So if anyone's seen the goal back, I Fabian Wilness put the ball in, didn't he? And I scored near post header. And I was obviously my momentum was taking me towards the Ipswich fans. I went over the hoarding and I just unleashed in in this chap's direction. <laughs> um, which I did do latterly in my career, you know, mainly if you were getting a bit of stick off the the opposing side's supporters. I'd, you know, see the guy, oh, he's got glasses and a hat on over there, I'll make sure I make a beeline for him if I score, which I did do, but that was a rarity with a home support and Probably just another example of, you know, the the relationship wasn't wasn't rosy at that stage, and I had a few few altercations with people, you know, away from football. You know, in I remember being out with the boys one day, uh, and someone said something derogatory to me, and I kind of what about your you yeah, as a player? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and and I gave them a mouthful. And I think a few of the senior lads said, you need to apologise. And I said, I'm not apologising. I said, I'm out, I'm out here with my friends trying to unwind. And someone's, you know, I wouldn't dream of going into someone's space. Um, they're in, in a restaurant and giving them stick. Um, but I suppose you become public property a little bit. So there was a few things that went on during that time. And, you know, I think it's important to say, like, Matt Richards was a huge source of uh, friendship to me. Uh, you know, that's not a great phrase, but me and Matt, and Matt had his battles with the crowd, I think, himself. I don't think he ever fully won over the Ipswich supporters, but Matt was a very strong character, which I really admired. If Matt was having a bad game, he'd go and get the ball more, you know, whereas the obvious thing to do is to hide a little bit. Matt was very strong mentally, but me and him spent so many hours together um, during that. But there were some other lads, Westy, I was close with him, Westlake. Um, some of the lads that came on loan, Jay McEverly, Alan, obviously, Alan Lee when he joined, but me and Matt um, were really tight. And I think I think Matt took it on as well. Like, I remember Matt speaking to me about it and taking it on and asking, you know, about how I was feeling and, like, and upset that his mate was, was getting grief because he'd probably been through it a little bit before. And I think that that's... You know, later in my career, if I saw that happening, I'd go and speak to that younger player. And I felt that I could have done with a little bit more of that, maybe. Um, so, yeah, that's. Uh, I think it's important to shout out, Matt. We we lost contact for a few years, but we've like reconnected recently. And, um, yeah, I got a lot of love for him. I'd, you know, I'd love to see him soon. Absolutely. Um there's this legendary Mark Fish performance here. There's a question about it. <laughs> oh, I love that story. Obviously, a question about Mark Fish in the QPR game he scored in is needed. And there's another part of this. I didn't know anything about this. Um, 
And how did he think those at the end of this country summed up his time here? Oh, I, 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 had to, I had to text back and say, what on earth are you talking about? And apparently this is this big BBC yeah. comedy that, that, that name checks you. So, but Mark Fish um, Mate, first, please. I think it, it probably... It probably shows that we were in a bit of disarray at the time. You know, this wasn't, uh, you know, this wasn't, you've name-checked the three players they'd lost the previous summer. And I'm sure there were, you know, some big names. Oh, Kel- Kelvin Davis yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, great shout. Yeah, yeah we had two rookies, didn't we, in goal, essentially. Um, Supps and um, Lewis Price. So, yeah, th- this was a side that was struggling, basically. Um, so much so that when we turned up at Loftus Road that night, none of us had even met Mark Fish. Sorry, I hope this doesn't get anyone in. I hope this doesn't get anyone in trouble, but it's a great story. Um, and obviously, again, smart fish over there. That's that's my reaction. You know, that's smart fish. Brilliant. You know, I'm in a dressing room all of a sudden with with Jim, who I'd you know, not idolised, but I'd watched in the Premier League for years. Kev Horlock. We had that Swindon connection. Uh, Fabian, people like Jason DeVos that have been around for years. You know, big big time Championship players and better. And then there's Mark Fish in there. I think, you know, it's Mark Fish. This is good. <laughs> oh, tremendous. Um, all of a sudden, he's playing. I'm thinking, he's, pl- oh, he's playing. Like, fine. He might, you know, did, he, might... did he look fit when you saw him? You don't know, do you, really? No. You, don't, you don't know. But he's obviously played for 45 minutes. And I, they're both mates of mine. So give them a shout. Like, I think Paul Furlong and Kev Gallon, like, give them a t- <laughs> I think it was those two, gave them like, a tirade. I think they both scored. Um, and they're both like quite handy footballers and, and strong, like Furs is a strong boy, as is Kev. Um, and he had a torrid um, and he, he got taken off at half time, didn't he? I think he did. And then we never saw him again, <laughs> which is just magnificent. Like that wouldn't happen on a Sunday, would it? And this is by no means having to go at, at Joe or the, like the club. The club was... Um, you know, really well well run in comparison to everywhere I'd been. And Joe's a legend, isn't he? Um, and we were just like in dire straits. I don't remember who was injured, but that's just, it was amazing. Amazing. I love, yeah, I love that story. Yeah, we didn't see him again. I think. I don't even think he came training, honestly. I think, some, it might even be Joe. I think someone's got his shirt as well from from that 45. I'm sure one of the Blue yeah. Monday listeners has got has got the has got the shirt, which presumably is absolutely mm. drenched with sweat. Then from that forty-five minutes. It's so, mad. What, what about this BBC thing? How did you how did you oh, hear yeah. about it? Do they have to give you a heads up? Well, um, because I've done or? because I've done quite a lot of work for the BBC down in in Swindon for BBC Radio Wiltshire. Uh, kind of the, the years after I retired, I know a lot of the people down there, and because there's a lot of Swindon mentions in the, the prior episodes, the previous seasons, they take the mickey out of Luke Norris at one stage and she's always, Kerry Mucklow is the character's name. She's always got the, um, the Swindon Mucklow. shirt on, <laughs> Swindon posters and such like. One of the girls just texted me from, from the Beeb down there and said, by the way, you're getting a mention because they've been on the, obviously doing the rounds, doing the um, promotional stuff prior to it being released. The, the last series and I thought oh brilliant you know it'll be like you know super Sammy Parkin or or whatever um you know a glowing reference at some stage and then obviously it starts off quite nicely he says oh you know this is a bit like I can't remember the scenario but it's a bit like when super Sam left Swindon and we all loved him blah 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 yeah but he went to Ipswich and then he was useless it's basically <laughs> just a bit and nothing become of his career and all that so obviously me and my girlfriend I think we just had our first son we were in a, a flat in Twickenham at the time. 
and uh, all set up for it, probably got a little takeaway or whatever. Oh, stop it. And I've gone like <laughs> buzzing initially and then like my heart has sunk. I think anyone who's watched this today will realise I'm quite a sensitive soul. My heart has like sunk. Um, I was devastated. And um, But yeah, a lot of people text me and all that off the back of it. And um, on the Totally Football Show, which I obviously did for the last few years, we got, um, oh, his name's going to escape me now. We we got the lad on. Uh, what's his name? Kurt, is it? Oh, uh, I wasn't I even aware of this he's show a big, until about... He's a big Fulham fan. He's a big Fulham fan anyway, but he's from the West Country. So when we were having a little bit of patter before we went and recorded, I went, you basically, like, with jest, but I went, you killed me there. I said, you're not real Swindon Town fans considering what you said about me, like with a smile on my face. And he, yeah. he was quite bashful. He was like a little bit, yeah, a bit sorry about that sound. And I had a laugh, but I think uh, he, he probably realised that, uh, yeah, it was maybe a bit strong, but it was all good fun. Amazing. Um, Sam, I think we've covered all of the um, questions. You said um, earlier in the podcast um, about this this race now currently this season I know if I ask you in two weeks time at the end of the window when because it looks like Plymouth have gone it looks like Ipswich have gone Sheffield Wednesday haven't gone yet and then there's Derby who could um who could catch if something now how, how are you seeing this um this league one um title race at the moment let me just get the league up um it's a big question isn't it because I'll be honest, a few weeks ago, I thought that Sheffield Wednesday weren't as good as Plymouth and Ipswich. And that was my honest take on it. But I, I, Sam, I had Plymouth dropping off about four weeks ago and they won four yeah. games on the trot. So. Yeah. And we'll have to wait and see with them, sorry, with, with Sheffield Wednesday. Listen, they're on a brilliant run. And I think they've got 100% a squad capable of, of staying the distance now. Uh, I question whether Darren Moore has been good enough in that role for the the quality of player that they've got. Um, but I think that can that can mask that a little bit this year. And they, they have momentum. Um, and they've got quality. Uh, Plymouth, it's going to be interesting to see how they get on with that Whitaker. But What about Tyreek Wright? Yeah. That went through last night as well. You liked him at Bradford, yeah. didn't you? It, on the face of it, it looks like a really clever acquisition because he stood out for Bradford this year. A similar type of player, I think, could play as a 10, can play wide, get out to, pe- get out to people, can score goals. It looks like they've just tried to replicate what Whitaker was bringing them. Um, so that looks like a real sensible piece of business. We have to wait and see it to how it translates because still feels like there's a bit of jeopardy about it. Whitaker felt like it was a bit more of a sure thing. So, But they've surprised me, to be honest, because maybe doing him a disservice... Stephen Schumacher, I wasn't convinced they were the real deal, but having responded to that, I thought it was going to always be important how they responded to the first defeat at home. And I think they've been unbeaten since Port Vale beat them. So uh, I think that's a sign of a side again that are going to be there for the, the long haul, which is is not great for you. But, you know, Ipswich become a different proposition with these couple of signings in the window. That's my honest truth. When I... Um, talked around the Exeter Ipswich game, which Ipswich won convincingly that I covered for Sky. Um, I felt that the season was probably going to be determined 
by what happened in the next couple of months. And um, they've seen it fit to go and get a couple of, of, of extra players up front. And yeah, that should be enough. Who's going to do it? I, I mean, I don't know. It's going to be so tight. And But I think the best coach is McKenna, is my, is my gut. And, you know, that's not just a, a throwaway remark. I've obviously spoken to a lot of people in the game, spoken to a lot of people close to Ipswich. I've watched a lot of it, speak to a lot of opposition managers. Um, and Schumacher's definitely got something about him, hasn't he? But mm. Kieran McKenna, I still think, is um, is going to prove to be a top manager of the team. I hope you're right. And I just have this sense now, Sam, there's these two... So Ipswich have played at Plymouth and lost, and they played at Sheffield Wednesday and were 2-0 up and drew yeah. to all. And I think um, the Ipswich fans will obviously correct me in the, in the uh, comments... I think it's in the space of the next four weeks. I think it's Plymouth at home for it, which is the next game. And then Sheffield Wednesday at home is in February as well. Mm. It it feels like the teams may match each other up going and playing against the bottom half teams, but it, it just feels like there's a couple of games that you don't want to draw there. You have to you yeah. have to take the advantage when they're when they're right in front of you. Just do, do, do you take my point? Yeah. I mean, only the, the lads in the dressing room would know right now, but I mean, it doesn't half help if you can go and reinforce a, an area of the pitch where you've been struggling. And, you know, if Jackson's... Is he suspended now, Jackson? I don't believe so, no. no did, he, did he have I made up? It's the other Jackson that got sent off in that Lincoln game. That's how my mind oh, works, doesn't it? Yeah, the Adam Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Lincoln, Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, I was thinking Caden Jackson got sent off, but he did. Yeah, he won, the, he won the foul, didn't he? He did, he did. Um, so... I was just going to say, like he he's probably not the the option, you know, up front any any longer. Ladapo clearly has had a few doubters, but has had a decent return. But I just think to to boost those areas of the pitch um, could give them could give them real real strength in the forward positions. And there's there's not too much wrong, is there? I mean, I think we were kind of noting a few. Weeks, maybe a couple of months ago, that maybe there was a little bit of a weakness from set pieces, from wide deliveries. But, you know, that's not been obvious to me in the last few performances. Still been a lot to like. And um, the return to, to goals of some of the forward players to aid what the centre forwards will bring should put them in good stead. But, yeah, it's um, it's going to be, it looks like it's going to be a colossal battle. And was it Matt Jarvis the other day said about Derby not being out of it. I mean, they've got, they've got great momentum as well. And... They they may add as well in well, if they can in January. I'm not sure if they can, but um, there's normally a workaround with these embargoes yeah. if it's an obligation to buy or have yeah. just cleverly structuring a deal. Sometimes, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So I wouldn't discount them completely, but yeah, it looks like it's going to be incredibly exciting. And um, but I will stick with my predictions, Ben. I think Ipswich will do it this year. I I will not pass comment whilst being very smug and happy that you that you've said that. Look, Sam, thank you so so much, and thank you for being so open um, about obviously, you know, things maybe not working out exactly how you'd have wanted um, to at Ipswich, and being real real honest about it. No worries, and, um, man. I hope it. Um... I think yeah, people I didn't, are really... I hope I didn't upset anyone. I hope I didn't... No. Yeah, yeah. Only that, only that bloke at Brighton, he's, he's, yeah, been, yeah, he's, yeah. he's been upset. He's been I remember upset. If he remember, I, remember if, I wonder if he knows that that was the... Uh, he was the uh, the target of my venom. Remember, yeah, it's yeah. a small world, so yeah. we, we will, fi- we will probably, find yeah, it's probably you, mate. I think he had a hat on. 
I didn't have lo- <laughs> lovely, beautiful, long hair back in 2006, but that way. Um, Sam, you're all over the place on Chelsea TV and on ITV and on podcasts. Where can um, and people find you and on social media? I'm Sammy Parkin, at Sammy Parkin underscore. Yeah, I'm not doing... I've got a bit of a quiet week, really. I'm, I think I'm covering the Chelsea game uh, against Palace at the weekend, and I'm back on the AFL highlight show and ITV on the 21st, which will be a week on Saturday. But yeah, and if I can plug my podcast, Ben. What, yes, do it. What the EFL, which is just a continuation of our Totally Football League show, which we did for the last three or four years. Same squad, me, Matt Davis-Adams, who is a podcaster, commentator at Chelsea TV, and the former Stevenage Southend winger, Adrian Clark. So three of us just chew the fat, basically, about the results. And uh, we're going to have some managerial guests on in the next few weeks as well. So Ooh. maybe we get your man McKenna on at some point. Oh, I, w- I will ask about that off air then, Sam. But thank you, um, thank you so so much for um, joining us, guys. Um, as ever, subscribe, YouTube, like, blah blah blah, and go and say thanks to Sam over on Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Blue Monday podcast. It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, but in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurant. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.